Great to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. Temperatures in the upper 60s, low 70s. You've got to love it. The colors are out big time and beautiful. Take them in and enjoy them while you can. Next time you look up, there may be no leaves on the trees. Relentless Positive Radio, making each and every day count. Each day is a gift. Sometimes it is difficult with the news. This is one of those times, as we stayed up most of the night watching the story in the main shootings. Now the number, which has gone as high as 22 and 60 injured to now 18 people dead, 13 injured. Those are the best numbers we have right now. I mean, those are horrible numbers, but the most accurate numbers for the shootings in Lewiston, Maine. They're searching for a 40-year-old Robert Card, a suspect. He unleashed a barrage of bullets inside a restaurant in a bowling alley around 7 p.m. Lewiston, the state's second largest city, around 36 miles north of Portland, said to be a certified firearms instructor and member of the U.S. Army Reserves. People are still being urged to shelter in place. This guy is considered armed and dangerous and apparently mentally ill. He was treated for mental illness. Not that long ago. Did they take his guns away? Apparently not. Former Detroit Police Chief James Craig was the chief of the Portland Fire er, Police Department, as I said, 36 miles away from Lewiston, Maine. And if I'm not mistaken, he kind of railed against the lack of good mental health rules, regulations, laws, call them what you will. We're going to speak with former chief, now United States Senate candidate, James Craig, coming up at about 12.19, just in minutes from right now. I am uh, concerned, Mr. Rieger, about the headline in the sports section today of the Detroit News, NCAA investigation against U of M grows. Now, you do some work there in Ann Arbor. I have had no conversations with Coach Harbaugh, you have had conversations with a variety of people out there. I don't know if you've talked about this or not, but what appeared to be not that big a deal appears to be getting to be a big deal. Can you explain it to us, Dave Rieger? It seems to be uh, becoming a bigger story as more stuff starts to come out. But at the at the crux of the of the what happened, it's it's still you know this is such a gray area. So I don't actually know what actually can happen if moving forward, but I guess we'll have to wait and see because, like, every the NCAA is like a separate entity. Then you got the Big Ten. Then you have the, the the committee that does the college football playoff potentially. So there's all these different things, and then you have uh, none of the coaches though have come out and said you know anything bad about it because they probably all do it. It's just that Michigan seems to have been caught in the crosshairs. In what would be arguably the worst time ever for Michigan to be dogged with these kinds of problems when they're having one of the best seasons ever. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're running through everyone. I mean, I don't, I, I, we were, I was talking to Chris Renwick earlier about this. I'm not sure, maybe. 21 points or something like that. It's been the, the closest game that they've had so far against uh, these teams they've been beating. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, obviously, they're in the bye week this week. So then they have Purdue coming to uh, to the big house, and then they go to Penn State. And that'll, that will be their probably big their games. biggest challenge uh, so far. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but it seems like this story, more stuff keeps coming out like every day. Yeah, it sure does. Meanwhile, um, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu saying yesterday, no surprises here, a ground incursion into Gaza will take place and that airstrikes were, quote, just the beginning. You know, there's so much as they wait, pretty much based on the president asking them to wait, our president, the humanitarian crisis reaches a critical point in Gaza, and then people with short memories forget of the carnage of Hamas shooting children at point blank, knowing that they were kids. It wasn't uh, an errant bomb. 
shooting them at point blank, beheading them, setting them on fire. These are not human beings, and these are not Palestinians. These are Hamas. And don't say it's because of the bad behavior of Israel. And let's face it, Israel has had bad behavior with the Palestinians. It's a problem. But you don't still, after all of that, decide you're going to shoot and kill innocents. You do that because you were raised to believe all Israelis should be dead. So when you come upon children, infants, they're still Israelis, and they're just going to grow up to be Israelis, so I'm going to kill them now. That's the kind of sickness that's involved. And it still just blows my mind that they've had any support in these United States. And if you can't separate Palestinians from Hamas, then you aren't paying attention, I'm afraid. So the good news is the same as what could turn out to be the bad news. I'm not going to talk a lot about it because obviously I'm old school. And I can't imagine after spending time disrespecting the guy whose name is on the building and on the automobiles, making light of him at best, causes the company to quickly settle. And because they're so anxious to get back to business and get people back in the factory and keep the money churning, they accepted that kind of behavior and, in fact, rewarded it by coming up with more money than they said they could. Trust me when I tell you, I may not even talk about this ever again. This is going to change what we used to call negotiations for the new contracts in the future in the auto industry. And this is going to change the auto industry forever and certainly change the good relationship Ford Motor Company had with its workers, where Bill Ford referred to them as family, never the enemy. And look what it got him. Look what it got him. Now we'll see if the other guys have to fold, as they have in the past, when they see their competitor has workers working and they don't have workers working. It's going to get tough. But the toughest guy is the guy at Stellantis. We'll see. The guys at Stellantis, not just one. The people at Stellantis. We'll see how that all turns out. Here's some of the good news, and thank you to Chris Moyer, Senior Director of Communications, VisitDetroit.com. How about this? Travel Mag, it's a digital publication that explores off-the-grid destinations from around the globe, has named our Romeo, that's right, Romeo, Michigan, as one of the best towns and small cities for Halloween celebrations in all of the United States. How about that? Pretty good? It is kind of cool. I wonder what, um, I guess, uh, reading it. Um, I guess Big part have, of it. Uh, Big part uh, of it. And Mark the, uh, Hackle, Mark Hackle, the uh, Macomb County executive, very proud of this. Yeah, the Terror on Tilson Street. Tilson Street. Yeah. The Terror on Tilson Street. And uh, oh. people come from all over to to experience the Terror on Tilson Street. And they're into it. Draws thousands of visitors as local residents decorate their historic homes along Tilson Street. Apparently quite a mesmerizing spectacle. Intricate pumpkin carvings, ghoulish animatronics, and hauntingly beautiful light displays adorning the houses. Romeo's terror on Tilson Street and all of Romeo seems to get all in to Halloween. And I'd say that right about now we could all use a little Halloween where the horrors are manufactured and safe rather than the horrors of real living right now. So enjoy it as best you can. Lots to talk about. Chief James Craig, U.S. Senate candidate, was the police chief for the city of Portland, 36 miles away from the carnage in Lewiston, Maine. And he has some strong opinions, as he always has. Looking forward to the conversation up next here with Paul W. Smith in focus on WJR. We've been following this uh, horrible story uh, all uh, all night and all of uh, today, matter of fact. We've heard from Janet Mills, the governor of Maine. Um, a small little place of 1.2 million people, all things considered, uh, 
in a really horrific situation there that has taken place, and we all know about it by now. They're looking for a Robert Card, armed and dangerous, certified arms instructor, U.S. Army Reserve. And they now say that what they know of him is that he had some mental health issues uh, not too long ago. So the wonder, uh, the question is, well, did they then say, okay, well, we got to make sure that this guy doesn't have any guns or take them away from him if he does or whatever. A guy who has a thought on that is our former great police chief for the city of Detroit, now candidate for the United States Senate, Chief James Craig. Chief, long time no talk to. How are you? Hey, I've been doing well, Paul. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm glad we're catching up. I'm sorry it's on a topic like this, but you're the guy closest to us as the former Detroit police chief, former uh, chief for Cincinnati, and most importantly for this conversation, former chief of police for the city of Portland, just about 36 miles away from where this atrocity took place. But I know the area very well, and um, i got to tell you, it, uh, it, it just goes to show that Violence can hit anywhere. As you pointed out uh, in your monologue, it, you know, the state's only about 1.2 million. Certainly Lewiston, which is 35 or 38 miles from Portland, um, roughly 3,800. Not big cities, but one thing that makes a challenge for a suspect like this, who is a hunter, who is trained, uh, his ability to embed himself in that very rural terrain. Uh, Maine is very rural, uh, and the fact that he's a hunter, he has the ability, and this, this is not going to be an easy uh, easy catch, but there's some fine men and women who served in law enforcement in the state, and because the, the, the departments are so small, you have to work collaboratively. Uh, that's not unusual. I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of my old partners in Portland PD uh have, were recalled and are assisting uh, in this search for this, uh, this very dangerous suspect. Yeah, there is no doubt that uh, police agencies from around the area, obviously including Portland, uh, have joined in this really massive, very dangerous, by the way, manhunt. I mean, this guy could be hiding and could, frankly, get the drop on police and shoot several of them before they are even able to lift their weapons and re respond. I mean, it's a dangerous, dangerous situation. What are the gun laws like in Maine? We've got Chief uh, James Craig, former Detroit police chief, but also a former chief of police for Portland, Maine. What well, are the gun know, laws in, like? In Maine, well, in, in Maine, certainly uh, getting a concealed weapon, um, I always tell this story when I was brand-new police chief, having come from California, which is very restrictive on getting concealed weapons permits. And um, I remember my first week I had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 requests for a concealed weapon permits, and the chief of police is responsible for approving those. And I denied them all. And so my staff came in vigorously saying, Chief, do you know where you are? I said, well, am I, am I in Texas or am I in Maine? I said, no, you're in Maine. And we love our guns here. But here, this was actually a politically turning point for me because one of my staff members told me, said, have you realized that violent crime in Maine is low? I said, yes. He said, because armed citizens can and do have an impact on reducing violence. And that's something that stuck with me throughout the remainder of my professional career as a chief of police in, as you pointed out, three cities, that armed citizens do have an impact. The only person that thought I was crazy for making that comment was former President Obama. He thought for a major city police chief to make that comment was kind of reckless. It wasn't reckless. It's a fact. And so um, the bottom line is there are a lot of Mainers who are armed a lot of hunters, and relatively speaking, Maine is a very safe state. But, again, tragedy can strike any place. I don't care how safe it is, especially right. in today's environment. That is the truth. Uh, and uh, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, United States Senate candidate, you and I spoke many times over the years uh, with some form or another of this sentence. Uh, as you just said, armed citizens made a difference there, but the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun 
is a good guy with a gun. And that may upset people, but it happens to be true. And you always well, wonder. It, it, Go ahead. You know, Paul, you, you're absolutely right. It is true. And what's sad about situations like this, people want to politicize it. And, and it shouldn't be a political. This is a, 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 an American issue. This is a us issue. And, and I just get so, oh, gun control, gun control. Now, what I will say, and, you know, I was very vocal, like I was here in Detroit on different issues, but what I was most vocal about in Maine is the mental health system. It was severely broken. Uh, I can tell story after story. In this case, this individual who uh, served in the military or was active in the military, heard voices and wanted to shoot up uh, his National Guard base. And so they evaluated him for a couple of weeks, just don't know what happened next. Now, common sense should prevail. If this is a person in the military, obviously suffering from mental illness, is this someone who we want to maintain and hold on to a, a weapon? No, we don't. We want to do it the right way, of course. I'm not saying permanently deprive someone, but at least do it in such a way uh, that, you know, people can be safe. Because I can't tell you, as many uh, crisis situations I've been on here in Detroit, you know, vast majority of them are someone suffering from mental illness. Right. Do we want those individuals armed with weapons? No, we don't. And, and that, that holds whether you're Republican or Democrat. Right. We don't want dangerous, mentally ill people with weapons. Period. Well, you're absolutely right. Before I have to let you go, Chief, how's the Senate race going? You know, it's not bad. We've only launched a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Early polls within one week of launching, it showed me with a double-digit lead uh, over the closest GOP competitor. Uh, I don't get... Overly excited about polls, but this was a national poll that was conducted. In fact, in comparison to other Senate races in other states, uh, my lead was the most significant. So I'm happy about that. We just have to keep the momentum going. That's, that's critically important. And, um, and we, need, um, we need to raise money. You know, let's face it, uh, these races, it's a lot of money involved, and uh, so your listeners can certainly, if they're interested in the campaign, can go to www.chiefjamescraig.com. I'm just writing it down because people will ask. All right, www.chiefjamescraig.com. Chief, yes. Chiefjamescraig.com. If you'd like to help support him in his United States uh, Senate run, as our former great Detroit police chief, and uh, and for today's conversation, the former chief of police of the city of Portland, Maine, just 35 to 38 miles away from where this uh, horrendous uh, massacre took place, the manhunt is still underway for a Robert Card, armed and dangerous. And uh, he had mental health issues. And Chief Craig used to rail about that while he was in Maine, about the broken mental health system. And frankly, that could be said for a lot of places, not just there in Lewiston, Maine. Chief, thanks for being with us. Good luck to you. Stay in touch. Hey, thank you. I sure will. appreciate you. I appreciate you, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, here with Paul W. Smith in focus on WJR. Well, here we go. Um, The Republicans finally got it together by uh, picking the right guy. And I think what made him the right guy is nobody knows who he is. So he hasn't had an opportunity to pick up enemies? I don't know. Ryan Schmelz knows. He's Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor, all over the story of Mike Johnson. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Paul. How are you, sir? I am doing very well. The weather's nice. It's been a great day. We're having a... Warmer temperatures than usual, got to love that. And we got plenty of news stories, some of them not so good, but there's plenty to talk about, that's for sure, including this uh, political unknown uh, who somehow united the Republicans. And uh, what can you tell us? (laughs) 
Well, you know, Mike Johnson went from being somebody who, and, and we're so we're getting these emails that are have sound bites from these different senators who are being asked about Mike Johnson. A lot of them don't know who he is. So <laughs> now people are going to have to know who he is because he's the Speaker of the House, and certainly, you know, not been in Congress very long, only since 2017, but has risen up through the ranks, was on GOP leadership this Congress, and now is going to be the Speaker of the House. And, and, you know, people, I, I, they know this much. We, we know that government has ground to a halt, which sometimes people don't complain about. But, look, there are people that deserve to get paid and all the other stuff. Um, but understand this. This man that no one seems to know about finds himself two people away from being president of the United States. Right. Think about that. And nobody knows who he is. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's fascinating. I mean, you know, but there's been cases where maybe a vice presidential candidate was somebody who was, was a kind of a nobody until they get tapped as vice. I mean, who knew who Sarah Palin was before she was John McCain's running mate? You know, these things have happened before. And, and certainly, I think for the Republicans, there, there may have been a thought that this is somebody who we needed to, to, to bring the party together. Now, keep in mind, too, Paul, he was in leadership. Like this was this was probably uh, they they pretty much went down the leadership ranks. Majority leader didn't work out. Whip didn't work out. Uh, conference chair Elise Stefanik didn't want the job. And then then you go to the next person. There was Mike Johnson. So uh, essentially, this was the person who was supposed to be next in line. This was just the one that actually got the vote. The funniest thing, and it's not funny, but I mean, you know what I mean when I say funny. Ryan Schmelz with us, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor, has led newspapers all over the country to do exactly what. In this case, the Detroit News does. The headline is, who is U.S. Representative Mike Johnson? Mike Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like there's a full page here trying to explain to us who he is. Oh, yep, that's the situation we're in. It's somebody who was maybe not known to the national spotlight before. Now they know. I mean, I got familiar with him very quickly when I came here to Congress because I was you know, tasked with watching a lot of these Judiciary Committee hearings. And he was kind of the number two or number three behind Jim Jordan at a lot of these hearings. Um, and he had a couple of moments. I mean, there was a viral moment where he and uh, Stacey Plastet, who's a representative from the Virgin Islands, I guess he like gave her a piece of paper and had an aide, you know, take it from his desk over to hers. And she brought it back to him and threw it at him. So he's had his, his moments in Congress. What? Definitely might not be. Yes. Uh, look at this up. You'll be very fascinated. I encourage your viewers to do the same thing. But besides that, maybe not making as much noise in Congress, and maybe uh, a lack of noisiness might be what Republicans need right now. And the, one of the Fox reporters, who I like, I think her name, I think it's Rachel, I'm not sure, one of the Fox television news reporters, mm-hmm. tried to ask Johnson about his uh, role in pushing to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. And everybody there standing with Johnson, made, him, yeah. they booed and they catcalled that was, that and they did was... everything. <laughs> yeah, Rachel they, Scott with ABC News, different network. Oh, it was Rachel Scott at ABC. Okay, Rachel Scott at I ABC. I think you're absolutely right. But I mean, it was like they felt if they they felt if they made enough noise and distraction that no one would understand what was going on there. That was yeah. hilarious. Hey, that was almost as funny as when uh, McCarthy got the entire Republican Party to laugh at me one time. So there's that. <laughs> that wait to laugh at you? Yes. What yes. happened? Uh, I asked him if he would be open to a tax increase on the wealthy in order to get certain uh, other policy things through, like, you know, uh, spending cuts and and, uh, work requirements. And he cut me off before it even happened. He goes, were you not here earlier? And all the Republicans standing behind him, both House and Senate, just started laughing at me. It was amazing. Good for you. I'd wear that as a badge of honor. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Good good for you. um, It's it's on my Instagram, so – Scroll down a little bit. You'll find it. What is your Instagram uh, address? What is it? It's just, Ryan Schmeltz? Oh, yeah. right. I, said, Ryan I don't know. Why did I have to have it? Mine is Paul W. Sminsta, and I don't even know why it's that. But anyway, Paul W. <laughs> Sminsta or Ryan Schmelz. Thanks, Ryan. Good job as always. Hey, have it going, Paul. Thank you. All right. Marie Osborne coming up, WJR Senior News uh, Analyst. Interesting story to follow here at 1246. Great being with you. Monday through Friday, noon to 2. If you can't join us noon to 2, we understand. But you can get us at thegreatvoice.com. The podcasts are easy. They'll download automatically if you press all the right buttons. Thegreatvoice.com. Just great to be with you, that's for sure. Great to always be joined by 
Marie Osborne. And job burnout is common in many professions, especially post-pandemic. One group is coming forward and saying not only are they feeling the pressure to perform, but their bosses are offering little sympathy and in some cases adding more pressure. RWJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne says pharmacists in the nation's largest retail chains are coming forward and saying they're reaching the breaking point. This is very dangerous, Marie. Yes, because how many of us interface with someone at the prescription counter maybe once a week? The workforce in the pharmacy industry says they're being pushed to the very brink. CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens and Walmart have all slashed pharmacy staffing levels, while at the same time, they've asked these frontline workers to perform more duties and perform them faster. A decade ago, there would have been two pharmacists, six pharmacy technicians, filling an average of 500 prescriptions a day. Now, a lot of these outlets have half that staff and even higher prescription volumes. And then you add to that a list of the vaccine appointments, rapid testing, and patient uh, consultation calls. So all of this is adding to the workload. Every task is timed in the pharmacy, and it's compared to corporate goals, which measure speed and profits. Staff are pressured to answer phones quickly, push vaccines, fill prescriptions, and if they don't do it fast enough, they could be fired. According to reporting by USA Today, representatives of CVS and Walgreens say they have been there have been challenges in their industry, but they have denied that they push these goals that are harmful to customers, saying corporate service goals are really standard in the industry, while the pharmacists don't agree. Listen to this statistic. In California, 91% of chain pharmacists surveyed by the Board of Pharmacy said that they lacked the staff needed to ensure adequate patient care. And Paul, as you can imagine, the profession has also taken a hit. Pharmacists and techs have rebounded to pre-pandemic rates, but overall interest in this profession, it's at an all-time low. Look, when we go into the pharmacy, and the older we get, the more we, the more we go into the pharmacy, we see the frenetic pace mm-hmm. these people are working at sometimes with clearly not enough people to do the jobs they have to do. And mistakes can be made that's, that, that scene in It's a Wonderful Life. I'm thinking of the right movie, right, where the, the yeah. pharmacist mm-hmm. finds out he's dealing with yes. personal issues, his son has just died, yes. and he puts the wrong medicine into the container to be delivered. He puts poison into a container. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that's what can happen, but I can tell you through personal experience, I have received a drug that was prescribed for me. I looked at the label on the jar, and I looked on the label at the sheet of paper they give you. I was very familiar with that drug, and when I opened the jar, it was a different drug. And you double-checked. I always double-check. Yeah. But if if you don't know what the drug is supposed to look like, and they do put a description on the side of the of the container, the jar, you know, the pill thing, uh, but I knew it, and I said, this isn't the right drug. Mm-hmm. It, so it can happen. Yep. And it happens because I'm learning now that the district leaders for some of these uh, pharmacies are basically turning up the heat. Mm-hmm. They got to sell more store memberships. They got to push more prescription pickups. They've got to vaccinate more people. And if they didn't do it, they were threatened with discipline, staff cuts, and other problems. It's 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 why fewer people are choosing to be a pharmacist, and why in your story that you gave me, Marie Osborne, there's a story of uh, of a pharmacist who said the public's health is in danger. The incidents of error are multiplied by infinity, and it was why I think she stopped being a pharmacist. Yeah. I went to get a vaccine. This was uh, like maybe the second vaccine for COVID, and I got, you know, I was sitting there. They gave me the vaccine, and they said, okay, just sit here, you know, sit there for 10 minutes, you know, the, the drill. Right. And... <laughs> The same pharmacist came back to me and said, "Okay, roll up your sleeve." Oh and my. she had another. She had another. I'm like, "No, no, you just gave oh, that to me." Wow. And this, and there were a lot of people. There was a lot of activity, 
And it was pretty scary, but that was my moment with a crowded pharmacy and an overworked tech. And these people are really doing their best. They are doing their best. They're good people that are overworked. What are we going to do about it? Now we have to do something. You know, if you see something, say something. Well, if you see something, say something and do something. I guess we have to complain to the highest order, not the people in the pharmacy. They're not the highest order. Thanks, Marie, for bringing this to our attention. Thank you. Marie Osborne, WJR Senior News Analyst. Lots going on with Paul W. in focus right here on WJR. By the way, we were uh, just talking with Marie Osborne about how overworked the pharmacists are. And they're being pushed to go faster and faster and do more and more duties. And there's a lot of job burnout, but there's danger for all of us. We have to all pay attention to what our prescription is supposed to be and make sure we get that pill. If you're not familiar with the drug, if it's new to you, there is a description of the pill itself on the side of your uh, container of your prescription pills, most pharmacies, I think, and you should check it because when you start pushing people like this, mistakes can be made. And by the way, there's another story out there about COVID-19 shots that may slightly increase the risk of stroke in older adults particularly when administered with certain flu vaccines. This, according to a new study, the safety signal was detected by experts at the FDA who analyzed data from Medicare claims. It's the second study to find an elevated risk of stroke for seniors after COVID-19 and flu vaccines given together. Some experts saying people who are worried could consider getting each shot at different times than together. Separately, the CDC's independent vaccine advisors yesterday recommended a new meningitis vaccine. Oh, my goodness. Brought to us by Pfizer, of course. Supposed to protect against five kinds of bacteria. Okay. Uh, We are becoming a vaccinated people. Or not. And you got to look out for yourself. Hopefully your family doctor. Does anyone have a family doctor still? Hopefully your doctor will do that. All right, we have a, a special note that we, we get a call from Tom Eufer. You remember Bob Eufer. What a great guy. Great uh, announcer. Michigan. Michigan football. He was like a cheerleader doing the game. And I was thrilled to be asked to way back when by Art Volo, of all people, to be the announcer on the very first Michigan, Eufer of Michigan album many, many years ago. And there were many albums after that. But I did the first one. I was still in town. I did the first one. There's a picture of me on the back of the album. I was a young kid. Well, believe it or not, Tom Eufer, who alerts us to this every year now, it is... The 42nd year of Bob's passing, he died on this day in 1981. He passed away after doing his last game 10 days earlier. He broadcast 363 consecutive Michigan games over his five-decade career. There was no one like him before, not likely to be anyone like him since, or from this point on. And since his passing, Tom and the family have raised over $2.3 million from donations and sales of the CDs, etc. All proceeds, they tell me, have gone to the Bob Eufer Scholarship Fund for local student-athletes from Ann Arbor going to U of M, and they've given out 173 of those scholarships over the past 40 years. Uh, As Tom would refer to him, the old boy. If you want more information on the old boy, his dad, Bob Eufer, visit eufer.org, U-F-E-R.org. What, you don't remember Bob Eufer? I know a lot of you do, but for those of you who don't, this is Bob Eufer at work. 
Hello, everybody. Yes, sir, it's finally here. Michigan versus Ohio State in football as two of the oldest rivals in the Big Ten square off in the game of the day, the game of the year, the game of the decade. Call it what you will. It promises to be two and a half hours of some of the most exciting football in the 104-year history of man's inhumanity to man. It is snapped. It's spotted. It's kicked. It's end over end, and it is... It is, it is good, no good, no good, oh no, 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 no. Look at the people on the field, there are 16 seconds left. Mike Lantry misses a field goal. The goalposts are down. He, he's the epitome of of wearing his heart on his sleeve, and he was such a Michigan fan. He never tried to hide that like announcers might try to do today. That wasn't what Bob Euford did, and he would be exuberant when things were going well, and he'd be almost brought to tears. No, no, when things didn't go so well for Michigan. And so we remember him fondly some 42 years after his passing in 1981. And what a, of all the things I've gotten to do, and there have been many based on what I do for a living, spending one, two, three o'clock in the morning in Art Volo's basement with Art Volo and Bob for yelling at each other, putting the album together, <laughs> and then doing the announcing parts for it was really quite a thrill a very, very long time ago that I'll never forget, and certainly none of us will ever forget, Bob Eufer. All right, uh, lots of things going on today. We uh, have the good news that Ford and UAW have reached a deal. So I guess if you disrespect the guy whose name is on the building and uh, make light of him, that speeds up the process. Trust me when I tell you, the relationship between Ford and the UAW and the UAW and the rest of the OEMs, the automakers, is going to be changed forever. I'm not going to talk a lot about it. I'll just step back and watch it because it's going to be different. And you shall see. Meanwhile, I mean, when they need to be closer than family facing what they're about to face with the onslaught, of other car companies coming on strong and building fabulous vehicles for less money. They needed to be closer than ever. And now, in terms of the family relationship that Bill Ford talked about, that's all gone. That's that. I'm not speaking for Bill Ford, obviously. But you don't treat family that way. At least not in my family. Maybe not in yours either. We have a new uh, Speaker of the House that no one has ever heard of, Mike Johnson. He's three clicks away from being President of the United States, by the way. Three clicks away from being President of the United States, a guy we never even have heard of, which is why the Detroit News offers a very helpful Page 5A, big story, who is U.S. Representative Mike Johnson? Well, the new House Speaker is a social conservative with former President Trump's backing. That's the information they have there. They go into further detail. Right now, be caller 9 at 1-800-859-0957. 1-800-859-0WJR. Caller 9 wins a pair of tickets to see a performance of Annie playing the Fox Theater, May 3rd through the 5th of 2024. For a bonus chance to win, text keyword Annie to 800-859-0957. Official rules at WJR.com. Holding on to hope when times are tough can take an awful lot of determination. Sometimes an awful lot of determination comes in a surprisingly small package. Little Orphan Annie has reminded generations of theatergoers that sunshine is always around the corner. The sun is going to come up tomorrow. Now the best-loved musical of all time is set to return in a new production, just as you remember it, 
and just when we need it most. Tickets available for purchase at 313presents.com and Ticketmaster or Caller 9. Lucky you. You win a pair of tickets. Caller 9 at 1-800-859-0-WJR. Ba-da-ba-doo-boo. Uh, front page of the Detroit News, the headline, Ford, UAW reach deal with 25% raise. Uh, the headline could also be, uh, auto negotiations will never be the same again. Uh, there's a lot you could put up there in those headlines. Daniel House, senior editor, business uh, columnist uh, extraordinaire of the UAW Ford uh, story. He covers it like nobody else for the Detroit News and for us. And Daniel Howe a bit of a surprise to me, but here we go. How about you? Here we go. Um, yeah, it was about time to get a deal. Um, I think they were the union was squeezing Ford quite a bit, taking down their most profitable plant and threatening, I'm sure, to take down another one, probably here in our own area in Dearborn. But, uh, you know, they got a deal, and it will go down. I think it's one of the the richest in a very, very long time. Chuck Browning, the VP of the Wharton head of the Ford Department, said it was the richest since the days of Walter Ruther when they made some pretty major gains from the companies after the war. Um, you know, I think this is a lot of people are going to be exulting in this, but the question I think you and I talked about is at what cost? And I don't mean financially. I mean, I do in, in part because I think one of the key questions is how competitive are these companies going to be relative to their foreign-owned competition and the likes of Tesla? But also the rhetoric and the, the cost of relationships. And, you know, Sean Fain and his mocking of Bill Ford and mocking of the, the so-called teamwork between the companies and the union against competitors like Toyota and Honda and Volkswagen, I think sets it back. And as I mentioned somebody else it reminds me of a very trumpian kind of approach to to rhetoric um <laughs> where you know we we trash the other side we don't treat the other side with any modicum of respect we we trash them and say that the things that they say they believe in are a joke and not true et cetera, et cetera. and while you're certainly within your right to do that i'm not quite sure what it achieves aside from a quick sugar high with people who love that kind of stuff. Well put, because there's no question. I mean, unless this world is completely upside down, which might, it might very well be. But the relationship, which was the hallowed relationship for generations between Ford and the UAW, should be forever changed. I mean, you, days ago, criticizing and disrespecting Bill Ford, the guy whose name is on the building and on the cars, disrespecting wow. him. Well... You know, he's one guy, uh, but I would say this, you know, there are a lot of people who work for that company, or as they call it, Fords, um, <laughs> who are very proud of it and multi-generational. And, and the relationship with, to actually see somebody named Ford, there's, no somebody, there's not somebody named General Motors or Stellantis, um, but there is somebody named Ford. And they, a number of them live in this community. I mean, they're not all in Boca Raton and and Hollywood, I mean, they're here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not quite sure where that gets gets you, but this is a new approach. It's not an industrial union approach. It's a much more of a, of a social left kind of approach to the company. It's not a partner. It is an enemy to be vanquished. And competition is a dirty word when, in fact, those of us, We've been around this for a while. Know that competition is everything in this business, and uh, we have to be competitive on multiple fronts—not just in the plants, not just on the product, but just across the board. Well, and certainly, and I know this is what you mean. Also, it, it's it's not uh, Ford competing with Stellantis, competing with General Motors. Uh, the the playing field is so much larger now, and the competition is from people we never even heard of ten years ago, and uh, and it's going to com- continue to be that way, and it's going to get worse. So I think things have changed. If they all come in for this kind of a deal, it's changed, and you can mark the date down as when the auto industry, as we know it, has changed forever. 
uh, because they had headwinds and problems ahead of them under their last contract. Under this contract, it's going to be even tougher. And when you consider they got the improvements, the cost of living adjustment, you're looking at like a 30% uh, increase, more than $40 an hour. Uh, workers with pensions, those who have 401k plans. And it also includes a right to strike over plant closures, a first for the union. Well, I don't know what they mean by a first for the union, because I remember when I was working in New York, and people came up to me and said, well, your, your auto guys back there in Detroit, they, they finally got the right to close plants that weren't working, that weren't profitable. And I go, oh, well, that's great. Oh, no, but they still have to pay the workers. Remember that? I think we call yeah, it the yeah. jobs bank. Called it the jobs bank, yeah. And, and so now, <laughs> this is the a, same thing. Well, it, it kind of feels like it. Um, it's just in a different form and probably a different mechanism. Uh, but I, I suspect that there will be uh, some real – in fact, I know there will be some reappraisals of manufacturing footprints. I think Ford felt they had – they're paying a price for um, – employing more American auto workers than anybody else and building their marquee products, their F-series trucks and their full-size and mid-size utilities all in the United States, whereas their other competitors in GM and Stellantis have Mexican production, right. which is essentially a hedge uh, against this kind of thing that we've just gone through. Right, and nobody's I mean, there's being... No, yeah, go ahead. There's no question that the UAW in this strike pretty much had maximum leverage. They had companies that were profitable. Uh, they had very high margin product being built in the United States in UAW plants. And this was the time for them to really to essentially squeeze and get as much as they could. And I suspect that when the dust settles, uh, that's what we're going to see. Do you think we'll see any management heads roll? Not near term. Uh, I mean, would there be a rotation in a year or two, potentially? I mean, Mary Barra has come January, will have been in that job for 10 years. Think about that. That's, That's forever. Pretty pretty long tenure in this town over the last 25 or 30 years. Um, I'm not suggesting anything by that. I'm just saying that something could happen, but I don't expect it as a result of this negotiation. I always worry that people are saying yes to terms that they know they can't live with in the long term, but they know they won't be there for five more years. That's my concern. I've watched it happen in the past. All righty. Anything else, Daniel? Nope. We're just on to the next thing, and we'll see how things shake out, and ratification is important. Yep. Uh, if, they don't, if they don't get it ratified, a ton of agreement means nothing. Thanks much. We'll talk again soon. Daniel Howes, a senior editor of business, a columnist as well, and all-round good guy here in Focus on WJR. Well, I asked Dave Rieger. He gave me the information. The economy has surged. These figures just out uh, not too long ago that the economy grew at a robust 4.9%. They were expecting 45 so it's a little better than that. We check in with David Sowerby. Managing Director, Portfolio Manager of Ancora. And uh, it's always a pleasure checking in with you, David. Is this this good news for us? Paul, it, it certainly is. Anytime you can get inflation-adjusted growth in the economy with a 4% number in front of it, even a 3% number, that's better than we've seen in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. So for the just-completed third quarter, uh, better than expected growth in the economy slows down the recession talk certainly so what about the jump in the 10-year treasury yields that that you thought and others thought might be a tipping point now i think it still will be uh sometimes it takes a little longer for it to have the true impact on the economy but but if you if you look at something that's most sensitive to interest rates uh with the mortgage rates now at seven to seven and a half percent, housing starts have dropped about 25 percent across the country in the last four to five months. So that's where we see it up front and, and uh, real personal. But if you look at the good side here, so many households, as well as companies, were very skilled two or three years, years ago 
low interest rates, lock in, low cost of borrowing, extend out your maturities that existed for households and companies. That's been one of the key factors why higher interest rates have not bit us as hard as they normally would, given just how much they've risen in the last two years. So now that we have a breakthrough, apparently, they've got to ratify it, of course, but with Ford and UAW, which has changed their relationship forever, uh, they reach a deal with a 25% raise, actually closer to 30% with a couple of things thrown in there. Um, how's that affecting our economy? You keep a track of, of all these local events. Sure. If you look at the prolonged auto strike, certainly crippling on, on Michigan business, Michigan is, as we saw with the latest tax foundation ranking, we're ranked 11th most competitive in the country. I have never seen that in my history for the state of Michigan. That's good news. And that dovetails into the uh, potential settlement with the UAW because markets don't like uncertainty. And to the extent we can uh, get past this uh, UAW uncertainty where both sides give a little bit, that's negotiation, that removes uncertainty and, and all in good for uh, Michigan businesses, I look forward. So what, what do you attribute this uh, good news, 11th most competitive in the country, first time you've seen that? Uh, first and foremost, a low, flat personal income tax. The most competitive advantage to the state of Michigan is a flat and lower personal income tax. Uh, it, we, we need to keep it low. Other states aren't sitting still. They're going to flat taxes. They're looking to reduce their personal income tax. Then when you roll in things like the corporate income tax, the sales tax, uh, property taxes, unemployment insurance, and you add it all in, the tax foundation for my money still does the best work every October, and Michigan ranks 11th. We were 12th last year, so we rank better than states like Texas, certainly better than states that are seeing population decline significantly like like New Jersey, California, Connecticut, uh, New York. Michigan has a lot to be thankful for with this last tax foundation competitiveness ranking. So we did. We called upon you the other day, and you got called into a meeting in New York, and we weren't able to get you on, but we appreciate you coming on today. It was about a big story that said we've been doing it wrong now. The asset allocation, the 60-40 is, I think, what they call it, stocks, and bonds, and they said it was wrong. So if we have a 5% treasury yield that should prompt many investors to shift their money from stocks to bonds, lowering equity prices, what's that going to mean for all of us? I would put a little variation on the 60% stock, 40% bond formula and say keep the 60% in U.S. public companies. They're still going to compound to you between 8 and 10%. The 40% in the bond market, yields are better. Bonds are a little more exciting. But that's where I would think about some of that bond money, maybe, maybe 20% of it, goes into other types of investments, whether it's commodities, uh, real estate, uh, other source of, uh, of credit availability uh, in the private markets. I think maybe think about 60-20-20, 60% stock, 20% traditional bond, and then 20% what we'll call a non-traditional more alternatives, and that's going to get you to retirement better, pay for college funding, and allow you to weather tough uh, bear markets like we've seen in 2022 and even parts of this year's hiccups. David, what are we, what are we looking at in terms of international stock investments? <laughs> uh very little, if anything. Pa- okay. Paul, if I go back to 1987, the U.S. stock market has compounded five percentage points better annualized than developed international markets, Europe, Japan, other parts. And we get enough diversification with U.S. companies. They've certainly compounded better since 1987. That's a long time period to look at it. You get enough diversification. Uh, European stocks look cheap for a reason because their economies don't grow as fast. Their companies are not as robust as ours. I question really the need for much of anything in international investing. They may, they may have their day in the sun, but you get enough diversification with better returns in U.S. markets, U.S. large cap companies, U.S. small, small companies.
Anything else we need to know, my friend? I think that's that was one of the best questions, Paul, because we're always taught, oh, you need enough money in, in the international markets. Why? Start with a blank piece of paper. How am I going to get to returns for retirement, college funding, you name it? And the U.S. market is still the best place to put most, if not all, of your stock investments. Excellent to hear, and I'm glad we're hearing it from you. Uh, David Sowerby, Managing Director, Portfolio Manager at Ancora. Thanks for the help. We'll talk again soon, David. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you. Such a good guy. He's got lots of information for you to noodle around. And uh, he's really very good at what he does. He stays calm, too, through the rough times. We appreciate that. As we continue in focus on WJR. Well, I'll tell you, we, we're getting a break here with the weather, and uh, and that's important to note, given that your your roof doesn't have a check engine light like your car does, for example, and, and you shouldn't ignore that ever. But the only way to know if there are small problems with your roof that could lead to major damage is to have an annual inspection by a licensed roofing contractor. I I cannot personally think of a better roofer in all of Michigan than Victor's Home Solutions. Many Many roof replacements could be avoided with annual inspections, catching problems early and fixing them before they become major problems. It comes down to a choice between paying for a minor repair or a complete roof replacement. Best of all, Victor's roof inspections are free. They'll do a thorough inspection of your roof from above and below and in the attic. That attic ventilation so very important to a healthy roof. They're going to go over their findings with you point by point, and if a repair or replacement is necessary, they're going to go over affordable options with you to make it easy. And as you've heard me say before, Victor's offers a 50-year leak-free guarantee on every roof they install. Hands down, best in the industry. If anything goes wrong with the roof that is due to workmanship or materials, Victor's will fix it, no questions asked. They can back their roofs with this guarantee because... Because their installers are that good. I've watched them work. They are quite a team. They work together. They work quick, efficiently, cleanly. They're there when they're supposed to be. Get your roof inspection scheduled now before the November rush hits. Of course, as soon as cold weather gets here, anyone and everyone with any roof issues hit the panic button and call. You want to get your roof inspection taken care of now. Now's the time. And Victors can usually schedule within... 24 hours of your call. Call for your free 21-point inspection and estimate today. Victor's Home Solutions, 734-6666-914. That's 734-6666-914. Or you can go to victors.com. 145 at WJR. We're going to learn something together, and I love that. Love to learn stuff every day. I hope you do, too. We welcome Matt Whitaker to the Paul W. Smith Show, Director of the Mobility Innovation Platform at Michigan Central. And we're going to start off, Matt, with finding just what the heck the Mobility Innovation Platform is at Michigan Central. Good afternoon. Hi, Paul. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so the, uh, the Mobility Innovation Platform at Michigan Central is really it's the physical infrastructure. It's the data and it's the services that we need to provide for startups and ecosystem partners to come here, to innovate here in mobility. And this is something that you're collaborating with, with the Michigan Department of Transportation, MDOT, and uh, there's this new airspace capability dedicated to advanced aerial mobility, AAM, and unmanned aircraft systems, UAS, development. There's a lot going on here. There is. We're really excited, actually, with the work that we're doing with MDOT. Um, you know, again, this is a three-mile radius around Michigan Central that we're standing up the right infrastructure to enable these companies, these innovators, to come and to test their capabilities in the real-world environment, uh, again, right around Michigan Central. Uh, so very excited for that. And give us some real-world examples of what this could mean. I see a a two-year pilot could lead to solving problems like the ones in underserved Detroit neighborhoods where people face safety and accessibility challenges, getting delivery of goods and reliable ground transportation. Tell me more. Absolutely. So whether it's uh, medical or pharmaceuticals, food, other small goods, 
or even things like building inspections uh, or uh, understanding new infrastructure, power lines, or whatnot. Uh, when we talk about how this can serve the community, not only are we developing the skills necessary within the community, we're, we're doing skills programs to help them, uh, but the actual drones themselves, uh, we expect can help solve those problems for folks who traditional mobility solutions aren't working well for and allow all of us to move towards electrification that much faster. And this is, this has uh, so much to do, or I guess all of this that we're currently talking about, regarding these drones as the the initiative comes at the same time MDOT and the Michigan Aeronautics Commission released an aerial corridor feasibility study to demonstrate the use of drones for just what you mentioned, the commercial sector that has the promise to drive significant societal and economic benefits. And this is, you know, this is a sort of thing. We're talking with Matt Whitaker, director of the Mobility Innovation Platform, Michigan Central. We're talking about things that we used to think were 5, 10, 15, 20 years away. You're talking today. We are. So we're, we're putting in place the, the, the required infrastructure today. We expect pilots to launch, you know, first quarter of next year. And, well, again, across those two years, we'll continue to do more. Uh, but, again, when you talk about that study with MDOT, why we're so thrilled to be working with them is there are so many opportunities around environmental and societal uh, benefit. And, again, that's really where Michigan Central um, seeks to focus our efforts on uh, kind of that intersection between the two. Is it is it fair to say, Matt, that that this positions Michigan in an especially favorable position, maybe at the forefront of the emerging uh, AAM advanced aerial mobility uh, markets, if you will? We, we certainly believe it will, or it can. Uh, so there's been estimates that perhaps we're somewhere around like 19th. Uh, externally around you know, where we are today and kind of our favorable opportunity to address these drone opportunities within Michigan. We're obviously aiming uh, clearly for, for number one. It's about, you know, what's unique for us here is dense urban environments. So much of this work has been done in places that don't represent real commercial opportunities. And so we want to turn that into something that can actually help startups and innovators scale and grow and allow Detroiters to be part of that growing ecosystem. Excellent. What do we need to do, either to find out more, to read about this, to understand it more clearly, or even to maybe apply for a job to be involved in all of this? What do we need to do, Matt? I would say you know, keep an eye on michigancentral.com. We'll have a lot more information there to follow about the skills trainings programs uh, and, again, about the pilots themselves, because we, we definitely want to see the community be part of the conversation to make sure these are serving the community and not just something that's serving the, the commercial aspect. Skill training program, the pilots, all of that. MichiganCentral.com, MichiganCentral.com. Anything else we need to know, Matt? No, just thank you so much for the time. We're so excited about the opportunities in this space, and we, we hope that the community will engage with us on it. Well, we're, we're excited for you and with you, and we hope the community will be too. We'll uh, catch up later. I know that the, this is a moving, ongoing story, and we appreciate you helping us with it. Thank you so much. All right, you take care. Matt Whitaker, director of the Mobility Innovation Platform, Michigan Central. I never get a chance to speak to J.R. Afternoon's Chris Renwick lately, but, of course, he was gone. And uh, uh, Chris, the other Chris, sat in for you. Yep. Um, And now you're back and raring to go. Were you on vacation, or did you have a project you were working on? What what was... No, it was my my wife and I's wedding anniversary, oh, so we got nice. away for a couple of days. Yeah, we were oh. we were childless, which was fantastic, and uh, and yeah, we had a nice couple of days on the west side of the state. Well, happy anniversary! Thank you. How many years? Eight, eight, eight years. years. Very yeah. good, excellent. Eight years. Well, it's good to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be uh, back where you belong. Um, and uh, and there's. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. What are you keying in on today? Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna run the 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 big stuff of the day. Obviously, the UAW deal is a huge deal because not only does does Ford get this deal done with the UAW at a pretty significant price. So we'll talk about the labor impacts of this, and then the financial impacts of this for an automaker like Ford because you're talking about big time money. But but more so, is this the first domino to fall? Right, because now I would imagine Stellantis GM are going to see what the deal is, what got it done, and use that as a jumping board. And and that's what we've seen traditionally in these types of negotiations in years past. So essentially, 
uh, for this Ford deal is, in my mind, is going to be the springboard. But then, obviously, the shooting happening in Maine, just absolutely horrific. Um, I, I don't know what we do when people have mental health issues and get treatment for it and then carry out heinous crimes. I don't know what we do about it, but it is it is appalling. Well, we take their guns away, first of all. Yeah. They shouldn't have guns. And when he was under treatment, just seemingly weeks ago or months ago under treatment, mental health treatment, I doubt there was a mechanism in place to make sure he didn't have guns. Right. And that'd be the first thing to fix, I think. Well, looking forward to your show. Thanks, As Paulie. I say, Chris Alberta does a nice job. It's nice to have you back where you belong. JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick. Now you, if you will, go on out and make it a great rest of the day. Enjoy this mild weather. Upper 60s, low 70s. Can't beat that for this date. And you're on your way to making each and every day count because, well, each day is a gift. We'll look forward to being with you tomorrow from noon to 2 or online, thegreatvoice.com. Regards, Paul W. Smith.